Table podcast producer Trent here, science special, uh, all the science on today's uh, Shambles College. Robin and Josie joined live from Australia by Dr. Carl and uh, Martin Rousen also popping in and some music from Femi as well. If you'd like to support us at the Cosmic Shambles Network, I can't speak today, uh, patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to do that. If you'd like to help out the venues and performers and uh, artists that are hit really hard without any work at the moment, uh, we've got a fund going for that. It is cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home is where you can go to make a donation there. Here is uh, today's episode. Good morning. Welcome to Shambles Stay at Home Festival. Morning, Josie. You having a lovely cup of tea or coffee? Has your child not drunk all your coffee yet? Luckily, today, she wasn't interested. Uh, unlike the other day when she just took the whole thing, covered herself in it. I think it's because it's gone cold, and so she knows it's not dangerous enough. Have you done any further beverage tests to see about how that affects behavioural issues? <laughs> well, she found some alcohol beer this beer. morning that Johnny hadn't cleared up, and she said, Ugh, Daddy's medicine. Yeah, it's got to be said, Johnny is very slow clearing up those, al- those alcohol-free beers, isn't he? It's he really is. weird. I mean, we, Suddenly we've all said it. Day. Um, How are you today? Oh, I'm furious. So there we Why? are. Do you know what? You know when some days there's just no elasticity of mood? That's what I'm at. And I'm sure there's many other people out there have the same thing. Some days there's no rainbow of emotions. There is. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm just having an utterly pointless battle be with nice. technology. It'd be nice if we lived in New Zealand, wouldn't it? be That'd good. Be lovely. Yeah. I'd like, and the, Auckland's got a lovely gallery. Wellington's got a lovely gallery. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've had a lovely time there, and I saw yeah, a lovely. I, uh, I was supposed yeah. to be there this week. I can't be. <laughs> oh, where were you going to? So, so that was uh, post um, Melbourne Comedy Festival and Sydney Comedy Festival, and yeah. where we where were you tonight? Uh, tonight, I, was I think flying over to Wellington to do a gala. They're oh, probably still going to do it now because they're all right. <laughs> Oh man, it's such a. That's a. I don't look at my diary. I don't. I no, don't open it. Even when people say, "Can I check on something?" I say, "You can say, just." I'll, I'll say yes. I won't be doing anything else. I don't want to look at the haunted ghost universe where my life used to be. I'm not going to go back to that one. Have you seen? Uh-huh. There's a really, really funny video, and it's of an Irish man. And he goes, "And here's my 2020 planner," and it was a complete waste of oh well i'm sorry that it's all a bit stressful don't worry it's just i I think everyone has that i mean i have that in normal life as well when it's not even isolation isolation life so i shouldn't (laughs) think it's some kind of specific to isolation but it's yeah it's just that moment where you wake up you think oh i'm in a perfectly my show and tell though to make me happier is uh i was i was interviewing um lisa duan yesterday uh yeah, brilliant. Uh, for for those of you who don't know, uh, she's in uh, Top Boy, I think, at the moment on uh, on on Netflix. But I first of all knew her um, because she is an incredible Beckett actor, and yeah. uh, she did a, a trilogy of uh, Rockabye, Footfalls, and Not I, which she toured for about ten years, which is a psychological agony, I think, for anyone who knows the, the, those, uh, well, look, those. And those a people. massive physical endeavour as well. It is such a bizarre when you actually see that for those of you who don't know, not eye is just a mouth. 
So uh, the actor Billy Whitelaw was 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 one of the the first. To, uh, you are your head is strapped in. You yeah. have to hold on basically. To, I think as far as I remember, some metal poles. So the mouth is in just this perfect position to be lit, yeah. and then it is this incredibly energetic monologue this 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 free fall of uh of, of thoughts for about i think lisa has the record for the uh fastest monologue version of it but it's it's normally i think somewhere between about 12 and 14 minutes um and it was it was a, a remarkable uh piece of work and then she did an uh, adaptation for the old vic um called nose knife but i was so i was just doing some beckett research and uh this is a lovely book with people's uh memories recall uh of, uh of of beckett and his life and um out fell uh, a postcard of laurel and hardy <laughs> one of my favorite things is opening a book and then suddenly something falls from it and it's either something you didn't know was in there because you bought it second hand or whatever or it's something you placed in there some time ago and this is a particularly lovely one of uh of them kind of it looks like they're kind of just enjoying i uh, actually i think they're playing i think those are little I think they might be kazoos, little round kazoos. They're either large lozenges, shiny biscuits, or circular <laughs> kazoos. So that was my uh, that's my show Just, and tell today. That's very much like my day when I look at my She obviously has something in her mouth, and I have to work out: <laughs> is it friend or foe? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, somebody said in the live chat is in New Zealand and had tickets to see my show this week, but live events are still not on. I'm sorry. If if you're interested, later on today at midday, which I think is probably about 11 p.m. for you guys, I'm streaming my show, um, and you can watch it on uh, um, Cosmic Shambles YouTube or at Twitch.tv/slash/Josie_Long. So if you are in New Zealand and you do fancy seeing my show, I'm doing it um, then. If that's any good today, it's a rainy day in London, so there's nothing else to do. The, the uh, um, I think that might be another thing as well. We've generally had sun, so now that it's raining and technology mm. is not working, that is why there is no elasticity in my mood. Um, and when the morning breaks and you go, well, it can't be the morning. It's so gloomy. It's, the sun's not. Oh, oh, the volume of the birds has been turned down. Even <laughs> yes. So, um, just quite a couple of things quickly. We we have Dr. Carl coming up uh, any yes. moment now. After Josie's uh, show and tell, and uh, and we this also have Martin Rousen. Oh, don't you! Oh, spoiler alert! It's going to be a dinosaur. Put it away till show and tell official happens, and then we'll do it again. Um, the uh, also there's uh, don't forget the tip jar. We've been collecting money for uh, basically kind of people who work in the arts and also art centres. And uh, this week we were able to give some money to Pound Arts in Corsham, and uh, you gave it, which was the, the venue in Bradford as well. Uh, Josie, oh, uh, one in twelve which sounds amazing and also the with them in uh barnard castle so we've been able to give donations then we've also been able to give some funds to uh various uh, artists and performers so if you are able to uh, basically we've run out of resources now so we're trying to build them up again we have a tip jar at the bottom of this if you just have a pound that you can give that's fantastic if you know for everyone who was able to give a pound watching this gave one then we will be able to give uh we can we're going to spread that around obviously as many people as possible and you can give uh larger amounts of money if you're some of those very rich people who 
who also enjoy our work. Yeah, this is a thing Josie and I have talked about before. Unfortunately, we have attracted a wonderful niche audience who very often, by uh, doing uh, jobs that are helpful and useful to the community, just don't have the kind of spare cash that very often we wish to leech off them. Uh, it's almost the, by constantly criticising the, uh, uh, the top 1% and the top 0.1% of the 1%. We're putting them off somehow, but, you know, it's, it's a very tricky tightrope to walk. It was a it was a that show you did. Let me alienate the hedge fund managers. Looking back <laughs> was a disaster for our finances. Um, also, uh, and we've got uh, Femi as well. Who you might have seen before. Uh, he's been on on the show. We have uh, some new music from him, and we have uh, the brilliant, uh, just a brilliant scabrous i suppose uh cartoonist and poet and writer martin ralston is going to be joining us and talking about something he's doing with the cartoon museum josie what's your show and tell us it's mummy big dinosaur my daughter has got very very um uh, very very up for watching a video where uh, about different dinosaur babies um where they count the dinosaur babies and as a result she can say tyrannosaurus rex Oh, Which that's fantastic. It's very exciting to me. Um, but she re- won't call this one Tyrannosaurus Rex. She'll call it Mummy Big Dinosaur. And they've all got names that kind of have almost perfect logic to them. So this is Mummy Big Dinosaur. Baby See, Big a- Dinosaur. Did you have that moment where you thought that your child had mastered language and had because that that moment I, I remember when my son uh, was down in in Broadstairs in Kent and oh. uh, there was a dog on the beach and he went doggy and thought oh that's great and then he pointed to the seagulls and went doggy oh no all <laughs> of the other possible nouns and they were only doggy. I do have um, some feelings sometimes I think, oh, my gosh, my daughter's incredible. She's so advanced. Like, she'll count, like, one, two, three, four. And I'll be like, oh, my word. And then she'll just go straight to eight, nine, ten. And I'll be like, oh, she's just these little rhymes to her. This doesn't mean anything to her. Also, also, every time that you you think that your child's you know particularly impressive, you'll then meet some other like nine year old who goes. I think my favourite book is probably Catcher in the Rye because in many ways it does it, it's about my life too. And then you go, <laughs> oh, okay, then yes, <laughs> I'm just teaching myself the zither. Um, so we are joined by uh, um, Dr. Carl, who I haven't seen since Christmas. Uh, last time we were over in uh, in, uh, in, Place, in King's Place, in King's, in Cross, King's where you, Cross, where you popped over and did about 17 shows in uh, approximately 29 hours, I would imagine. Wow. Yes. Ahoy. Did you, uh, tell, you have an incredible capacity of avoiding jet lag. Ah, yes. It involves drugs, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a lay-flat seat. And the way you get a lay-flat seat is you book using points one year minus one week, in other words, 51 weeks before the flight is due. And the way you get your points is that you jump from credit card to credit card and they say, oh, Josie, we love you. Here's 100,000 points if you stay for and, and you leave it you know, before they charge you and you get the points for nothing. And what you do is you have to take the melatonin and when I'm saying melatonin, I'm not talking like two milligrams or three. I'm talking 25. You take the melatonin. Oh, part one, lay flat <laughs> seat. Part two, you have to land at sunrise. Part three, nine hours before sunrise at your final destination, you take 25 milligrams of melatonin and suddenly you feel like you've been at the beach all day and you're feeling sort of really zonked. And then when you wake up, all of your biorhythms have been kicked across. 
you then reinforce that by having breakfast, walking around and staying that way. And then on the way back, you do exactly the same thing. And I do not get jet lagged. However, there is a price. Now, I have a weird sort of um, migraine, which is not a migraine. If you want to have a disease, have something with a fancy name. And my disease is scintillating. Oh, my God, you're jealous already. You don't have any disease that starts with scintillating. Scintillating means I see flashing lights. Mm. A migranus. A means not. Mm. So a migranus means a migraine. It's not a migraine. In other words, I don't have any pain. Uh, scotomatous. Scotoma is a bunch of words meaning interference with vision. And migraine means a migraine. So I have a migraine that has no pain, and all I get is flashing lights, which last for about a quarter of an hour. They start with a little tiny spot in the middle of my field of view, and they get bigger and bigger. They're like a sideways V with little ripples on it. My father had it. I'm sure my son and daughter will have it later on in their life. And normally, I have one every four months, and it means nothing. There's nothing to do with any brain function. Normally, I have one every four months. On one recent trip, I had two in four days. Ooh. So my brain is saying, hey, Carl, sure, the biorhythms, we're, we're switching across, but you're being naughty. <laughs> so it doesn't sound, the, the cost doesn't sound too, too great. It sounds, you know, it's, uh, it has a, a level of, of, of glamour and visual excitement without agony. Uh, but it's That's, probably distracting. I presume that 15 minutes every four months will probably put you back about one book a year because you, you write about 15 books a year, don't you? So that, that Well, I was going to write two this year, but I'm, I'm down to one. Uh, and, and I, I think, think that's about more the, than fair enough, given the circumstances. Yeah. Well, I was lucky enough. I was able to go for a swim in the Pacific Ocean this morning, but there was just this terrible rip. We, we, we've had our beaches locked down, and uh, I went – somehow the surfers had snuck around the barriers, and on the local beach, which is one kilometre wide, instead of seeing the surfers occupying, say, 30 or 40 metres, they were right along the entire one, uh, 800 metres, and not only were they all the way along, they were stepped backwards and forwards about three layers, all of them just thinking, give me a wave. I haven't had a wave for two weeks. I want a wave, and it was as flat as a tack. <laughs> um, we have loads of questions for you so we're going to get straight on with that we the first one we have is from Paige and Haley, who are six and nine and they would like to know what is the best and funniest chemical reaction experiment we can do at home i will remind you they're six and nine and also at home so <laughs> the chemical reaction you might this goes into physical chemistry and it involves things called M&Ms or Smarties or chocolate buds. They're I little mean, ovoids, yeah, and, and they've got chocolate in the middle and they've got sugar which is coloured. And what you do is you get a bowl of water, sort of yay big, dead flat, and you put about one centimetre of water in it. And then, spaced equally around the perimeter at 90 degrees apart, you put a red one, a green one, a yellow, whatever colour you want. And of course... Because it's in water, the sugar will dissolve, of course. And the colour will go with it, of course. And then something magical happens. The colours come closer and closer together. And when they kiss, they do not mingle. Why do they not mingle? I'll leave that as an exercise for the six-year-old and the eight-year-old to work out. 
Brilliant. Thank you very much, Paige and Hayley. That was I was saying another fun one to do is is it's it's not it doesn't have the same flamboyance, but just just making Ooblex a lot of fun as well. If you've never made Ooblex before, we were talking about this the other day. Ooblex mentioned in Dr. Seuss's book where you get a bunch of cornflour and and food colouring, and it is fascinating in terms of the way that it appears to go liquid solid, liquid solid. It's just a lot of fun, very tactile thing to do. Ah. An interesting thing on that. On uh, the Subaru cars, they've used that principle to make the car safer in a collision by inventing, and I quote, bum catcher rubber. But you've never heard those three words together. Well, you'll be surprised, Dr. Carl, that that's okay. <laughs> so, I lived a very different life. <laughs> so with this, with, if you get the cornflour, you can stir it slowly and it'll move okay. But when you try to stir it fast, it just goes solid. And they've got this, that's called anti-fixotropy, T-H-I-X-O-P-R-Y. And on the Subarus, underneath the, on, on a seat, when you sit in there, there's some of this stuff under your thighs. So there's your thighs and then there's a dip for the buttocks. And if you're in a collision and you should happen to submarine, that's a technical term, submarine under the seatbelt and go forward, your buttocks will come forward at speed and hit the rubber that normally is quite flexible. But because your buttocks hit the rubber quickly, it goes solid. And that way you do not slide under the seatbelt. Your buttocks, of course, you do not smash up a court. You do not smash up your knees and you survive the collision without broken knees. Bum, catcher, rubber, anti-thixotropic. Well, oh, man, that, that is a great, great journey from Dr. Zeus. Sorry, Well, Jay-Z. I have a question uh, from Jerry who said their partner just had her flu shot and she wants to know what causes flu shots to hurt so much? Why are they so painful? Why are they so painful? Um, it's a complicated thing. There are things in there called adjuvants, A-D-J-U-V-A-N-T. And we're not too sure why they work, but we know that they do. And on one hand, they cause extra irritation. But on the other hand, they, and we don't know how, somehow make the immune response better. Now, here's one thing for you. You've probably had an anesthetic, and here is something really weird. The anaesthetists, or anesthesiologists, as the Americans foppishly call them, the anaesthetists know how to use anesthetics really well. They can put you asleep and wake you up, and you won't be dead. Nobody knows how they work. We know that you've got to have so many milligrams per kilogram of body weight, and it interacts if you've got a crook liver or something like that. We do not know the method, how they work, but here's something else. We do know that if a gas dissolves well in olive oil, it could be a good anaesthetic gas. So there's so many things that we don't know in the world. I always think that the general anaesthetic, and when you talk to neuroscientists about that, it, it is, it's never a good conversation to have shortly before an operation. Uh, <laughs> just, just because it's the mystery. It's a, it's a fabulous, yeah. The, 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 um, this is uh, someone that said that you've recently, I think, been talking about Michael Moore's made a new film about renewable energy. Yeah. And, and you feel that there's. Uh, really pro, is he? Well, uh, the, the problem seems – oh, against, that's it, because you, you say that you feel there's a lot of misleading information and, and, and factual inaccuracies that were in it. And, and uh, they, uh, this, this, Diego would just like to know, could you enlarge on that? What, what did you feel were some of the, the issues which people can now explore uh, 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 in other ways? Philosophically, the movie was kind of made in 2012 when the guy started making it, and he hasn't moved on with the new technologies that exist. So, for example, he says, 
that solar panels are only 8% efficient. No, they're 25%. And then he he videos and then broadcasts the following, where somebody says that solar panels last only for 8 or 10 years. No, they don't. They last for, they're guaranteed, minor guaranteed, for 28 years. They last only 10 years. And then secondly, they say wrongly that you never get back the energy from the solar panels that it costs to make them. And in fact, it turns out that the looking at capital cities around the world, your payback time is 18 months in where I am in Sydney and in Perth. And the worst place in the whole world for cloud cover is Brussels, 44 months. And it's just full of inaccuracies. And so there's a place where they've got a solar farm. And at one stage, they take out the old solar panels and put in new ones. And they video it when there are no solar panels. And they say, look at that. They're conning people. There are no solar panels. And all the way through. Now, this is surprising for me because normally Michael Moore, love him or hate him, is pretty good on his facts. This one has not been fact-checked, and I don't know how it snuck through. That is disappointing when we are faced with, you know, the challenge of climate change and when the deadlines are so tight and when so much needs to be done that somebody would put, be putting something out there that is, like, is useless and well, will just help people. Okay, here's some messages of hope. Firstly, um, me... Um, the new generation coming through now, the, these kids, are the smartest generation ever. They're, it's called the Flynn Effect, F-L-Y-N-N Effect. Look it up, and Dr. Carl, ABC, Flynn Effect. For, second thing, we are living in the most peaceful time ever in the history of the human race. Read the book by Stephen Pinker, The Better Angels of Our Nature. Thirdly, not only can we not put carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, we can pull it back. Go to a website called drawdown.org, D-R-A-W-D-O-W-N, drawdown.org, and I've fallen in love platonically with this fabulous woman who is a born-again fundamentalist Christian from Texas who is married to a minister of religion and is a climate scientist. Her name is Catherine Hayhoe, K. H-A-Y-H-O-E, look at her, follow her on Twitter, and I'm full of optimism for the future that we can fix it. The only thing stopping us are the politicians who mm -hmm. may have been bought off. Mm -hmm. There was also, I don't, I don't think, think it's it... come out here yet, but Damon Gamow, who made that, um, used to be an actor in, in Australia, and then made a film called That Sugar Film. Uh, I think his most recent film has been, I think it's called 2040, and it is about all of the uh, uh the technology that actually exists this idea that eventually science will come and save because it exists we just need the wherewithal now we need that you know the various different kind of from seaweed farms onwards i don't know if you've seen it yet i think it's called 2004 yeah, yeah. by uh, damon gamo here's a very simple message that we do not need but of course we could benefit from and will invent but we do not need any fundamental new technologies or science everything we need to both stop putting out carbon dioxide and then pulling it down is available to us in the sense that we can just develop what, the, what we've got in the same and here's another message of hope in europe um bmw and volvo and vw and mercedes have now stopped all intellectual development of petrol diesel engines they're still making them 
but they're going to fade them down. And all their intellectual development is into the electric car. Mm-hmm. That's happening now. Yeah, this is really cool. Thank you. It's really nice to hear things that you can look up and yeah. feel somewhat reassured by. Well, it's, it is very hard, isn't it, sometimes? You said finding the right information, finding the information which comes from a reliable source. One of the problems is it's very easy on, on the internet to see something which has been given a given a title which has a website thing which looks like it's official or whatever it might be so that that's part of it and i think you're right that flynn effect i I look at my son and i and i think that they're critical faculties because they've been born into a world where this exists as opposed to you know we were already kind of i was certainly you know an adult by the time i was trying to work it out they've started off in this world and they've gone yeah that's rubbish nah don't trust that you know i think there's a lot of a lot of hope there as well and and you know how we discovered it the flynn effect well, we discovered it because the way that Americans learn geography is by invading another country. <laughs> and so they've got, got one, one of the largest military forces that has been battle-hardened in the whole world. And if you look at the IQ tests done on American military, that was a joke fitting up with you guys. If you look at the IQ tests but kind of done on American military from 1932 onwards, tens of millions of men and women have gone through and have done, besides their military training, IQ tests under hard military conditions where instead of like a soft teacher, please, Miss Josie, can I go to the bathroom and secretly look up the answer on my smartphone? Instead, there's angry people with bald heads stomping around with big boots and the IQ has been going up by nine IQ points every generation. We don't know why, but we know that it's real. Wow. well, this brings up one more question before we go to, uh, we're going to listen to uh, a song from Femi and uh, then we'll also be joined by Martin Rousen. But this is from Cordelia and she would like to know, is there any scientific idea that you find really difficult to get your head around? Um, I'm still struggling with quantum, but I, I, I've managed to get a bit further. Like, you know, the Heisenberg effect that you can, uh, Heisenberg principle that you can either know the momentum of something or its location and that leads to the fabulous joke where Heisenberg gets pulled up by the cops and they say, you're doing 59 kilometres an hour. I said, what do you mean 59? Exactly 59 kilometres an hour. Exactly. I measured it on the radar. Exactly. He says, oh, my God, if it was exactly 50 kilometres per hour, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. <laughs> right. Okay. So now it is not because our measuring machines are not good enough. It's an inherent fuzziness in the universe. An electron can be both here and anywhere else in the universe at the same time. Start with that, and then gradually you'll be able to understand quantum mechanics. I'm still not there. I'm about that far of the way along. You know, I, I, I look up to Jim Al-Khalili for further lessons. Well, the, Sean Carroll's new book is a, is a, a very interesting one with a certain amount of debate. But I think that's one of the interesting things, isn't it? With certain scientific ideas, we imagine we'll eventually be able to accept them as if they're logical. But we will always be battling. I, th- I don't know how you feel about that with the battle with this is the way we see the world. Mm-hmm. But at this level, this is the way the world behaves. So it's I, I don't think it will ever. I, well, I might be wrong, but it will never feel necessarily like a natural thing to explore. There will mm-hmm. always be a little bit of re- resistance in. In our brains to go but how can it be it's the old Feynman line you know if you can don't keep asking but how can it be like this it is just don't keep getting worried about how it is now let's look at the equations mm. um should we go with well, Joseph you got another question or should we go to Femi 
Um, I haven't got any more from the live chat, so let's go to Femi and then I'll get um, I'll get Trent to send me some more and then we can ask some more on behalf of people. Well, here is another as a, another brilliant music, musician who was uh, also played King's Place uh, last year when we were doing Nine Lessons of Carols for Curious People. Uh, we'll tell you about his new album after you've seen some of his new music. session and uh, you're all doing well. 
have a nice day and uh, hope to look forward to a time whereby we can do songs live again. Hello, welcome back. That was Femi, and I should say that Femi's work is on uh, Bandcamp. Uh, I think the latest thing is uh, Femi's uh, Ragtime and Blues, and I would also remind people that if you are about to buy something on Bandcamp, uh, save it to, I think, next Monday, I think the 1st of May, uh, if you can hold back. 1st of May is another day where Bandcamp are not taking any money uh, from any of your purchases. They will go entirely to the artist. So make a list. Start making a list of things where you think, oh, man, that's a great artist and that's an artist and that person sounds interesting. And if you do that on the 1st of May, that means those artists who, of course, are not able to go out and perform at the moment, uh, they will get all of your money, which I think is a, is a great gesture. Um, International Workers Day, I assume. Same thing. Uh, um, and... Uh, one question for you, Dr. Cole, that's been sent from a live chat from someone called Marilyn. Now, it's got a lot of background to it. It's quite a long, long, it's a story as well as a question. OK. My husband and I were having this discussion the other morning and couldn't come up with an answer. And when we saw that you, Dr. Cole, were, were coming up on Cosmic Shambles, we thought you might have an answer. We have an AeroPress at home that we make our coffees with. Lovely. How come... If we use the same technique in the same machine, using the same ground coffee from the same bag to make two cups of black coffee, one after the other, they have a noticeable, albeit slight, different taste. We have done double blind tests cheaply and nastily, swapping cups so that, and we can both taste the difference. So there's obviously something sciencey happening that makes this happen. We hope you might have an answer for our very grand study. Thank you. Keep up the good work with the stay-at-home shows. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? Is that a silly question? Is that a silly question? Amazingly, I have one of those machines and an atomic machine, and I know the answer. This is I wrote so a story exciting. about it. Finally, after four years of work involving people such as mathematicians and something called a computational chemist, they came up with the answer. And it is not simple. And the only reason they could solve it was that the battery scientists in electrochemistry had done all of this mathematical shortcut that enabled them to solve it both mathematically and then with experiment. And this is what happens. Imagine that you have, and the technical term is a basket, a basket of coffee. And coming in is steam. I used to, and wrongly, thought that what happens is that the water, no, it's not steam. It's different in America and Italy. The temperature is up around 94, 97 degrees, and the pressure is about six to nine atmosphere. I used to think that the hot water would evenly diffuse through fairly and democratically kissing each grain of coffee, extracting goodness from it and bringing it down to the little funnel at the bottom and out would come the beautiful coffee. But no the butterfly effect comes in because of Lorentz. The butterfly effect basically is sensitivity to initial conditions. So a butterfly flaps its wings in the Amazon and a week later, a big hurricane, instead of coming on land in the United States and causing devastation, goes out to sea. And why the big difference? Because of the butterfly. In the same way, most people, and that included me, and I'm writing this in my next book, and also I've done a story about it. You can read it on, if you type in ABC, Dr. Carl and Coffee Making, you'll find the story for free. <laughs> and what happens is that um, you've, got, you've ground the coffee, 
but you put in a bit too much coffee and using a bit too much pressure. And what happens is that suddenly some of the coffee, the grains, come in a range of sizes. They're not all the same size. There are some big ones and there are some little ones, and they clump. And in this basket, this whole volume over here, it clumps into a solid little lump, and the water, instead of going through it, makes a channel to the side. So instead of getting an equal democratic amount of uh, some of the 200 chemicals in coffee grains, instead it gets a lot out of just what's in the channel and you get that sort of burnt flavour, sour or bitter. And the cure is to use less coffee, have a lower pressure and a less fine grind and blow me down. I've been doing it and it actually tastes better. Consistency. The, you, you, our listeners are very clever that they were able to define that the problem was consistency. I'm incredibly observant. Is there a cosmic shambles cardboard medal of honour that we can send them to thank them for being such powerful observers? We will fashion one immediately. The uh, um, we can was well, they're different people, and their whole setup taste wise is going to change. And they've already tasted one coffee, so their tasters will have been influenced by the first coffee somehow. No, because when you get the baristas at their international competitions, at their international competitions, right? So these are people who have been doing it day after day, and they will at an international competition make four coffees. And each one will taste different. This consistency problem has been bothering us for ever since that sheep herder supposedly in Yemen six centuries ago saw that the goats became active when they ate the little red beans. We have had, and only thanks to mathematics and computational chemistry, whatever that is, we have solved the problem. Less grinding, less coffee, lower pressure. Brilliant. Brilliant. We're, we're going gonna to come back. We've got some questions about trees, uh, and we also still have your show and tell. Uh, but we're going to take uh, a quickly leap over now to uh, a man who I think did my favourite uh, triptych of David Icke, of all the great triptychs of David Icke. Uh, the uh, wonderful, uh, frequently, I, I think, I, can I say scabrous uh, cartoonist? Perhaps, or I have, it's too late now. Uh, and he's adapted so many different ideas as well. He wrote a wonderful book about uh, the, a kind of detective fiction book uh, a, a film noir about t.s Eliot's the wasteland yes it's uh, incredible you, it's great his fury fury about the wasteland uh, and we're how you doing martin? martin russell how you doing martin? Hello. i'm fine i'm doing very well actually can um, you while, while you've been talking i've actually been doing this i don't know if you can see that That's, uh, the help <laughs> there is a scapegoat <laughs> <laughs> See now, this we've talked to a lot of people who uh, creative people who say that they've been been stymied been, and been stymied, and they're they're kind of at the moment they're finding it hard to complete work. But I would imagine, with a lot of the information that is, you you you, you are generally pretty kind of uh, uh, febrile in in your creativity. But I I would say I would imagine at the moment you are you're exercising your pen as, as much anger as possible. I'm doing my best, and also they are providing, you know, the fish in the barrels. They are turning themselves on a regular basis into fish, jumping into that barrel and handing me the shotgun with their little flappy fins as they go. Um, I mean, it's extraordinary. Uh, um, also, as far as I'm concerned, my life is completely unchanged. I'm sitting here <laughs> railing against a world of which I know nothing because I ne haven't gone out for the last 38 years. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been I looking out the window thinking, yeah, bastards, we'll get you this time. Well, I think it's. Oh, sorry. No, go on. Well, I was, well, was going to say, as somebody whose work has to respond to such grotesque things so often, I feel like, yeah, you must be somebody who's just continuing keeping on. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's 
there've been there've been a couple of gags I wanted to do, which I've been which wiser editorial council have suggested I shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll share one with you. Why not? I mean, it was when uh, the prime minister rushed into hospital because he'd gone around shaking the hands of people with uh, with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Well, recklessly and foolishly on his part, but then again, he is the Prime Minister. He presumably knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to do a cartoon of him um, in silhouette, seen through the screen round a hospital bed. And he'd be in silhouette and he'd be on a, he'd be on a sort of a, an oxygen mask. And underneath the bed would be a jester's cap and bells just lying on the ground. Mm. And it would be captioned, alas, poor Yorick, because this man's a complete joker. And suddenly he has to deal with serious things in a serious way. Though, personally, I think the press conference he gave yesterday just shows that he's still sounding a bit breathless to me. So there that you go. Is- the, uh, and I think that's the ringing. We normally it's, it's a phone or, or the, the, our favourite one. The, the, our favourite one is quite often we have a folk singer on who also has an angry dog in another room, and there's nothing more <laughs> beautiful than hearing something elegiac about the past while someone what? also shouts at their angry dog. Yeah, I told my wife not to dance into the room naked unless she wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. That's very considerate. <laughs> the. Um, um, I've just asked, just for those who don't, I mentioned your, your I don't know if it's correct to call it a triptych uh, or not, The uh, your your work, your David Icke work, which stayed in the in the wonderful small town of Larne for some time opposite Brown's Hotel. Yeah. Could you just tell people a little bit about that uh, that piece of work? Well, it was um, it was a, a nice gig at the wonderful Larne weekend. At the wonderful Larne weekend where this house where, in fact, they held Dylan Thomas's wake. Uh, until they had to feed his coffin out of the downstairs window after four days because they ran out of booze and they carried it over to Brown's Hotel over the road. And the people who live in it, um, it's called the Pelican, uh, were changing their windows. So they had these hardboard sheets in the windows and it was suggested I should paint these. And I, and I was painting, and it's three stories, and I was sort of painting scenes from you know Dylan Thomas and Catelyn having an orgy on the first floor. And on the second floor, just <laughs> right at the top, um, I didn't know what I was going to do until I discovered that David Icke had been booked to do a gig and hadn't turned up. So um, obviously David Icke was the person to do. So I did him in, in the left hand, there were three windows, the left hand window, he was sort of leaning forward, clearly naked. Um, and in the middle window was the head of an enormous reptiloid space fear beast whose tongue was coming out and the rest of the fear beast was in the the final frame as it were so he was clearly being rimmed by a giant reptile and i'm delighted to say this and i'm delighted to say years. this was there for about two years yeah it's a lovely as, you as, yeah it's a lovely as, you as art does the uplifting and in fact the moral character and in fact the moral character of the people of long <laughs> and also affecting the careers of Welsh glazers who were there going, well, we were going to put new windows in, but apparently they're happy with hardboard. Now the hardboard's become a lurid alien tale. We'll just stick with that. <laughs> um, can we now, one of the reasons you're on as well is you're doing an event on Thursday. Is that right? Which is uh, connected to the Cartoon Museum. Well, it's it's an ongoing debate, um, sorry, which is um, called Museum from Home. And all these museums, a lot of them are small museums with small budgets, which have been closed for the last you know, month or more. Mm-hmm. And they're facing serious problems and they need our hearts and minds as much as our money. And the Cartoon Museum, which I've been involved with for the last 20 years, uh, it moved to new premises last year. Uh, it's got a new director, a new curator. 
really exciting ideas. And suddenly they've got all these exhibitions planned. The steel curtain comes crashing down four weeks ago. And so what they're going to be doing, along with lots of other museums, is actually showing their prize exhibits, things from the collection, online and on Twitter. And um, during the election, because it was such a, forgive the language, bulls-achingly awful election in so all sorts of different ways, let alone, I mean, irrespective of the result, it went on for so long. Um, I decided to liven things up by launching a, a cartoon competition on Twitter, just off my own back, which was the great draw Matt Hancock challenge. Um, and to my amazement, I mean, dozens and dozens of people, professionals, amateurs, joined in and produced some really interesting cartoons. So um, I gave the winner a prize. I said one of my books, poor sod. And we rolled this on. Then we did Draw Dominic Raab. Then we drew uh, Draw Saji Jabu. We're currently in the middle of Draw Robert Jenrick. Who knew that the otherwise <laughs> wholly unknown communities <laughs> and housing minister should excite such bile in so many people around the world? And what we've done to publicize the museum from home i've launched the draw the covid uh, draw the coronavirus challenge inviting people just doesn't matter if you can draw or not everybody can draw if they try you do a drawing about what's happening at the moment it can feature the coronavirus you can turn the coronavirus into anything you like and put the hashtag draw the coronavirus um, hashtag museums from home along with the cartoon museum at cartoon museum uk um, and whack it up on Twitter. And on Thursday, I shall judge which is the best one. And I will send them a copy of my latest book, which curiously and possibly thematically enough is a reworking of Hans Holbein's 1546 blockbuster, The Dance of Death. Brilliant. The uh, Great competition. Uh, Great competition. That's two lots of uh, we should because there are, as you said, a lot of museums. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know how well the House of Illustration is doing at the moment, which is another wonderful place of, of uh, celebrating um, illustration. Um, and also, we should mention the Holborn Museum, which uh, we mentioned the other week, which is down in Bath, which has a great Grace oh, and Perry just... exhibition, which I've, I've missed and obviously behind closed doors now. But I know they're, they're they're struggling as well. So for those those of you who who can help out, do seek out a lot of perhaps your local museums or small museums that you've been visiting and, and check which ones. Might need the weird support. thing is these museums have actually been frozen in time, which is quite weird for a museum. They've actually been stuck with their exhibits. Yeah. And some of the bigger ones, um, a friend of mine works with the Tate and saying, you know, the really big blockbuster they've been planning for years. Yeah. Things open in two months' time. It's got to move on because other people want it. You know, it's been mm. booked in the other side of the world. But the Cartoon Museum had just opened this wonderful little exhibit um, about Philip Poole. Philip Poole was a man who sold nibs in a weird little shop in Drury Lane for about 40 years. Huh. And cartoonists from around the world would go in there. I mean, I used to go in there and uh, he'd sell me some nibs and he'd say, oh, I had that Ralph Steadman in here the other day, uses his <laughs> nibs like bloody chisels, he does. <laughs> <laughs> in the archive of the museum, we had all these letters, cartoonists from around the world had sent to him saying, thank you for these nibs. They're wonderful. Look at the way they work. And there's this exhibit sort of caught in aspic, this exhibition caught in aspic, waiting for us to come back and look at it. And when the Cartoon Museum reopens, it's in Wells Street in, in, in Fitzrovia. I, I do recommend you go and see it just for that e exhibition alone. Brilliant. The uh, It is, you're right, it's a very strange thing, very strange thing, thinking about, I mean, I, I was lucky enough, I fortunately went to the Aubrey Beardsley exhibition, which I thought was wonderful, just before the the, 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 the lockdown. 
brilliant thing. I was in, I was invited to the launch party, in fact, and uh, and my wife had I think probably had had um, the coronavirus, mm. um, but of course she wasn't tested because they wouldn't. Have, but she had all the symptoms. Yeah, uh, yeah, we had the same thing. My partner as well. It's very odd, and the and the advice was different at the time as well. So yeah. yeah, um, I wanted to just crowbar this in because it's of relevance. Uh, the other day on Twitter, and you can search for it. Uh, many different curators at many different smaller museums were having a game where they could put a photograph of the creepiest exhibit that they had in their museum, and it is a glorious thread of these pictures of like fake. Animals, animals from from the twenty uh, from the nineteenth century that were like created as a piece of kind of shocking taxidermy and yeah it's uh, if you have a look on Twitter you'll find the thread and it's really really worth looking at and on that subject and as this is purportedly a scientific blog um, the um, the Hunterian Museum attached to the Royal College of Surgeons yeah. Where- the first time I went there, you needed a letter signed by a doctor to let you <laughs> in because it's so horrific. Luckily, my father was a virologist, so he signed the letter and I got in. But we had a, I had a book launch there once, um, and people were leaving early because they'd just come across the exhibit in a glass case of half face of child with smallpox. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Yeah, too much. That was the real one, that, and, you know. And I said, if, if and I, I made a speech, and I said, you know, and if the canopies run out, just break the glass. <laughs> <laughs> See, I I remember that going there. There was a party. No more page three. The organisation. No more page three. Uh, they kind of ended up. Um, Hugh Grant worked with them as well, so they worked put on, with them as well. So they put on to publicise No More Page Three. Hugh Grant's birthday party was in the Hunterian Museum, and again, much like your event, it is that mixture of of of, of canapes, sparkling wine, and uh, Victorian uh, history of uh, botched experiments is a fascinating uh, thing to have over a volavon. Um, the uh, we're gonna we're gonna. I'm sorry, we can do slightly shorter than we would do. I should just say to everyone, you probably know about this, but at 11 a.m. there's a minute silence to remember um some of the, the, the all of the key workers who have uh, have died during this so um so i apologize we, we've only got a few more minutes on air and we will make sure we're off before 11 o'clock mm-hmm. martin uh, people can find you on uh twitter they can find out more about you it is is it just a, a, at martin roson i can't remember now yeah yeah well, and uh, all your books the communist manifesto was another treat as well which was a couple of years back wasn't it that was uh yeah. um that uh, and uh hey. Made more money from that book than any of my previous 30 books, ironically enough. <laughs> you know what? I remember at your launch, you looked the least alienated I've ever seen uh, in terms of <laughs> your work. So that was a wonderful <laughs> moment. <laughs> Thank you very, and also Martin. If you if you want to hear more about uh, of, of Martin's work, we did a a book shambles a while ago when we were both in uh, in, in Toronto. So you can find that on I our cosmic shambles. I don't think we'd done that, and it's like, of course, I was not in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things where we'd never managed to work it out in London, and for some reason, we ended up in the same city uh, in somewhere else in the world. But yeah, that's that's one of the uh, uh, one of the book shambles that's up there, and you can kind of support book shambles and stuff like that also by going to our Patreon. We're still trying to create as much uh, kind of entertainment entertainment and and uh, various different uh, stuff and films and, and science films as we can at the moment and if you go to patreon uh, that will mean that we can keep making more and more stuff as well so martin rafson thank you very much so much and dr cox we only have a few minutes left we must not leave out your show and tell <clears throat> what is it one night my father was lying in bed because he was a writer and he looked out the window 
and this came flying past. It's a meteorite. Well, at the time it was a meteor. You see, when it's in space, it's called a meteoroid. When it's in the atmosphere, it's called a meteor from the Greek atmosphere. And when it's in the ground, it's called a meteorite. So we went out the next morning. I was about nine years old and we went looking for it and we couldn't find it. And he found a hole that much in diameter near the roots of a tall tree. And we dug down following this hole and it had punched through the root of a tree and come to a halt. And we can just see over here, maybe. Now, where is that little shovel mark? I'll just hold it here and try to hold it steady. You might be able to see just that little straight line. That is the shovel mark. So that's that's my little show and tell. Wow. Uh, A rock from outer space. What does it feel like? Space. What does its weight feel like? Is it? Is it? Because sometimes the density of uh, is, is quite counterinstinctual. Yes, the um, the solar system, um, the planets in the solar system, and the asteroid belt fall into two main classes: uh, silicon-based or carbon-based. This is neither. This is iron. This is from the core of something bigger. So the iron settled in the accretion phases and got torn apart in the early days of the solar system, um, according to an astronomer who took me through it. So it's iron-based. A few minutes. So uh, now this, I talk to the trees, but they don't listen to me. Clint Eastwood's uh, uh, The B-Side of Lee Marvin's uh, Wandering Star. And Terry would like to know, uh, read a headline of an article that said that trees talk to each other. How? So this is always one of those interesting things. Language is sometimes a little bit loose on these kind of ideas. Yes, they talk to each other via the wood wide web. Brilliant. That's uh, they have literally. the whole consciousness. They have all they well, they all different. interact with each other. It's the most yeah. exciting thing in the emitting yeah. chemicals, moving around the roots. Like the, the, the whole woodland sees you coming and tells each other that there's some oath coming to stamp on the ground and to get ready. The whole That's woodland. Right. The whole That's woodland. Right. So it's done via the mycelae, M Y C A L L A E of fungi, and there's this mesh that goes across the field and the trees are embedded in this mesh. And we kind of think from various documentaries, the trees are all out for themselves. And if one can get more sunlight at will, but we've observed trees where one is shadowing another and it gives via its roots glucose to the other tree that it's robbing the light of. So they talk to each other and they do things with each other. And you can have a field where on one edge, some insects have come along and started attacking the trees. And they've told the other trees at the other end of the field. And the trees that have been attacked have started making a defense chemical. They have to. All they've got is chemical warfare. They don't have legs. So they have to do chemical warfare. And at roughly the same time on the other side of the field, just after a short delay, the trees that have not yet been attacked start making the same chemical in anticipation of the insects coming to get them as well. It's called the Wood Wide Web. Once again, I've written a story about it. Dr. Carl, ABC, Wood Wide Web. 
Brilliant. Thank you so much. I think we're going to, because of the minute silence at 11, we're going to wind up now. Thank you very much, Dr. Carl. Thank you very much, Martin Rouson, as well. Uh, I apologise to people such as Colin and Hayley. We had questions from you. Hayley, your question was great, but it actually was ultimately going to have to involve the definition of what is life. And having done debates on that, it turns out that is not a snappy 10 seconder of an answer. Um, Josie, what are you up to for the rest of the day? Uh, I'm still too. And then tonight I'm doing a show uh, which is on Amazon Prime's uh, fo fo Instagram, but it's to raise money for NHS charities together. So I'm just doing lots of streaming shows and hopefully in between some housework. So it's going to be a real thrill for me, a real thrill. And Chugs. Thrilling day, and uh, thank you very much, everyone, for for watching, and listening. You can catch up with all the other episodes we've done. Mark Gates, the science Q and A with uh, uh, with Brian Cox, and and many others. Those, those are uh, all still available, and you can also listen to them as uh, as podcasts as well if you don't want to see uh, the visuals. And uh, oh, Carl, can I just check? But of course, you have a new book. It's a question that is always relevant. Uh, what is your new book? What's, What's your latest uh, it's one? It's called Dr. Carl's Random Road Trip Through Science, and we think it's the first book in the world that has holograms. So you download the rather modestly named Dr. Carl app, and you aim your phone at the book, and then suddenly up come holograms of dinosaurs and all sorts of things. So go to drcarl.com, drkarl.com, it's all there. It's wonderful. It's kind of HP Lovecraft, end of the world, as his holograms eventually take over everything. Um, thank you very much, everyone. See you tomorrow at 10 a.m. Uh, if you don't see Josie, of course, before then. And uh, we are joined by Luke Wright, the poet, and uh, and Sophie Hagen as well. Um, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home to catch up on all the previous episodes, find out who's coming up on upcoming episodes and to leave a tip for acts and artists and venues who are hit hardest at the moment. And if you'd like to support us at the Cosmic Shambles Network, patreon.com slash bookshambles. Oh.